It's Monday morning and you know what that means. No, not the start of another boring work week. It's time for Building Better Cheyenne. So grab your hard hat, grab a hammer, or maybe just a cup of coffee. And let's get building. Hugh, Ken, how are you guys doing this morning? I'm doing well. Another great day in Wyoming. You know, I've really come to appreciate living in a in a small town. It, it, it's been a real nice experience over the past six months for me. Really kind of getting to know people. Despite the, the nature of the pandemic, I really feel that there's a close community. And so I am really having a, a great time. Ken, how's your week? I'm doing very well as well, Hugh. Um, got to spend a lot of time going in between Cheyenne and Fort Collins and then also Cheyenne and Laramie. Sometimes that drive up to the summit is very scary, but <laughs> on days like this weekend when the sun's just shining down and there's little um, wind variance, there's nothing quite like coming over the crest of the hill and seeing like Laramie spread out. So um, those drives and the opportunity to think and reflect Particularly, I was able to carpool some Vista friends and sit in the back seat and like kind of fall asleep on the way back. I saw a picture of that. <laughs> yeah, a really flattering picture of me with my um, neck tilted back and mouth wide open was taken. But gonna miss those moments with the Vistas and in recruiting for like the next class, like coming up in like the late spring and summer. I'm really gonna try to communicate the messages of those road trips together and all there is to explore the natural beauty of Wyoming. Dan, you've been here a lot longer than both of us. What did you do on a weekend like this past? And moreover, what do you enjoy most about what Wyoming has to offer come around in the spring? Yeah, uh, we're coming up on our ninth year up here. And, and one of the attractions for us to move up here was the proximity to the outdoors. Um, obviously, there's Kurt Gowdy and Vita Vu, but then you know, for a weekend, not Rocky Mountain National Park's not that far away. And then if you want a really quick trip weekend, we love going to Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks. They're probably my favorite places in Wyoming. Nice. Well, a big focus of our podcast is on leadership in the community. And our guest today, Michelle Sullivan, is a leader in every aspect of the word. Residing in Sheridan, Wyoming, she's in her second year as director of the Wyoming After School Alliance, which is a priority fund of the Wyoming Community Foundation. And um, the Wyoming After School Alliance acts as a statewide network committed to creating conditions for young people to reach their full potential. If I was to start earnestly reading through Michelle's career credentials, educational experiences, and a project she's presently working on, I'm pretty sure we would never get to talking. So <laughs> this is um, a little loud Vio Magnifico. This is the second conversation I'm fortunate enough to have with Michelle, the first one recorded. So without further ado, let's give her a warm welcome to the show. Michelle, thank you for coming on our podcast today. It is my pleasure. I, I'm delighted. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. So we'll dive on right into the meat and potatoes of it then. I try to keep up with Wyoming news best I can. And I saw that you were featured in an article called The Economic Impact of a Healthy Childhood in the Wyoming Business Report in late February. And you were quoted as saying, what better time to ask than in this pandemic? Are we using the tools at our disposal in the state to help youth and their families participate in um, Wyoming's future? Now, you are part of an initiative, Wyoming 2030, that we've got to discuss offline that aims at getting to the root of that question, right? Yes, I, I've been really lucky to be a part of a broad collaboration 
across various organizations in a project called Wyoming 2030. It's been a real, it's been gratifying to connect across time and distance with others who really care about the future of the state and and to explore together how we can really set a course that we choose to set as opposed to one that's been set for us. And could you kindly give us a rundown of some of those partners who are involved in the effort so far? You bet. So first, one of our, our important sponsors is, is the Wyoming Caring Foundation of, of Wyoming Blue Cross Blue Shield. And they've made it possible to, for us to continue to, to explore this question. The Wyoming Kids First is another important partner. But in addition to that, we have the Nature Conservancy, the Wyoming Children's Trust Fund, the Wyoming Council for the Arts, the Wyoming Community Foundation, of course, which I'm a part of, the Wyoming Business Alliance. So it's a it's a broad platform of, of partners that are are working together on this question. That's a that's undoubtedly impressive coalition that you all have built. And I, I was fortunate enough to tune into the January Town Hall series that Wyoming 2030 put on. And I was curious if you could give our audience like a look into who some of those speakers were and the initial topics covered in those first four webinars. You bet. So we had four events over the course of January and we began at the beginning. We started with a, a conversation about early childhood and the importance of investing in early childhood and then also presented some, we always try in each of the sessions to present an example of something that's really working and very, that's positive from our state and someplace across the state. The second session was about young people and in school-age young people and some of the opportunities that we have during school-age time to, to really cultivate and support young people's learning both in school and out of school together. And then the third was a program on adolescence and opportunity youth, you know, really looking at those young people who are transitioning from both high school and, and college age and how we do a better job of really elevating their voices. And then finally, we heard from young people around the state in a youth forum that was our last of the, of the first four sessions and we're very grateful to have Governor Gordon welcome everyone and then just really hear about the things that they cared about and wanted to make sure were being attended to as, it, as we thought about the future of the state. In each of the sessions, we always try to bring in a national perspective that sort of sets the stage in terms of some data or, or research, and then to have a statewide perspective and then a local example of something that's working. And there was so much that came out of that, it's hard to just choose one thing. But I, I think for me, one of the takeaways was, you know, often we look outside our borders for solutions. And ultimately, we have a lot of really innovative and interesting things happening in, in state that we need to be sharing with one another across our communities. Um, the Family Spirit Program on, that's run out of the Arapahoe Clinic in Fremont County, a great example of a home visiting program using cultural uh, strategies to work with, with moms as they become parents and moms and dads. And I think we saw that across the state and, and there are wonderful examples of that everywhere. Excellent. And um, 
for the audience out there, is there anywhere that they can view those four sessions and one of the materials and individuals who are part of them? Yes. So if you go to wyoming2030.org, each of the sessions, each of the recordings is online and in any materials that were presented as a part of the sessions are included there as well. We should have in about hopefully a week or so a synthesis of all four of those sessions as well that will be available online. And we're just teeing up a, a couple of additional sessions. The, the next one will be on juvenile justice. Uh, Tennessee Watson, who is a reporter with uh, Wyoming Public Media, is just finishing a one-hour national program that she received a fellowship to to complete. And we're going to have a juvenile justice conversation in collaboration with the launch of that program uh, at the end of this month. That's tremendous. Thank you for making us aware of that. And to wrap up this first segment on Wyoming 2030, how does your work on that initiative tie in with um, the work you do Wyoming After School Alliance and the Community Foundation? Thanks for that question. I, I think from my perspective, as you mentioned in my introduction, our interest is in really helping to create the conditions for all young people to become self-sufficient, healthy citizens. And we know we can't do that alone, that that's a, that's a cooperative effort that we all have a part in. And so I was very pleased to be a part of Wyoming 2030 to really broaden our mission as a way of not only creating and cultivating community connections across our state, but also providing the opportunity to really elevate young people's voices as problem solvers, as critical thinkers, and and to really highlight how important it is for us to really be engaging young people, not just in caring for them, but in, in helping them care for us and our communities. And so that was, I think it's all interconnected I like to use the analogy, um, knitting is sort of my my favorite analogy. And I feel like it's all about sort of taking the threads and knitting them together so that we actually have stronger supportive communities as we go forward. And kind of tagline of Wyoming 2030 is that youth are our most important natural resource. I think that is a very um, succinct to the point message to communicate out there. Yes, thank you for that. Yeah, it's, um, and and I, something I believe deeply is is true, and something we all hopefully can get behind as we work to make our community stronger. As as part of my work at Habitat for Humanity, I've been reading a lot of impact studies on the effect of housing on youth and and educational opportunities, and it's really fascinating and broadens my perspective on how these issues are really interconnected. And, well, pivoting a little bit, looking at your work background, I was kind of perusing your LinkedIn a little bit, and I see you were born and raised in Casper, Wyoming, and you've spent a lot of time outside of the state as well. We've actually lived in in many of the same places. I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I see you spent some time there. I went to school in Massachusetts, and you were also there <laughs> during your during your time at uh, grad school at Harvard. And now we're both in Wyoming. Could you quickly uh, detail your your life's journey for us? Sure, Hugh. And I have to laugh because, as one of my friends said the other day, it really does 
show that Wyoming is the center of the universe. We all, everybody gets here eventually. <laughs> it's now I'm coming back as well. Yeah. It's the, it's, it's the ultimate small town with very long streets. But uh, I'm, I, I like to say that if you love Wyoming and you want to have an interesting life, you have to be a bit of a generalist. And I am definitely a generalist. <laughs> I, as you said, I, I, I graduated actually from Colorado College, uh, which didn't make anyone in my family very happy. I think I was the only one not to go to the University of Wyoming. And upon graduating, I was sure that I was destined for a big city someplace on the East Coast. And, and then actually my dad ran for governor. And I was called back to Wyoming to help with the campaign. And during that time, I had the, the great fortune of traveling thousands and thousands of miles across the state. And it really pretty much hooked me and ended up remaining in Wyoming and, and starting an organization that really looked at the cultures and communities of the American West and educational organization. And as you mentioned, it's a meandering journey, but I, I started with that and really fell in love, but then also recognize the importance of having some experience outside of the state if I wanted to really make a contribution over the long term. And my husband and I went to, to DC and I worked there at the Aspen Institute where I worked on kind of exploring the how you build community capacity, which is something I feel like I've sort of never let go of and had the opportunity then to come back to Wyoming uh, when the Daniels Fund, which is a foundation based in Denver, was just beginning their operations here in Wyoming and was very lucky to, to really launch the fund here in Wyoming and, and start some programming here. When they decided to move everything back to Denver, my husband and I felt like we'd worked really hard to get back. And so we stayed and I uh, remained in Sheridan and worked for not-for-profits and philanthropic organizations around the state. And finally, luckily because of my husband having the opportunity to have a fellowship at Harvard, I sat in on a class when he was there on uh, neuroscience and education and really fell in love with the science of learning and development, and then ultimately went back and got my master's in 2011 when my children actually were in kindergarten, second and third grade, and left them in Wyoming. And uh, I went back by myself and and got my master's and feel very grateful to have had a partner who was supportive in, in helping me to do that. So really, since that time, I've, I've dedicated much of my work to thinking about how we really improve systems of support for young people. And I have a particular interest, actually, in adolescence. Uh, my, all of my work was in adolescent neural development and how we really think about the contexts and schools and other kinds of experiences that are really developmentally appropriate for young people as they're really going through those significant changes. And um, about two years ago, I, after having done a lot of consulting, I was invited to come on as director of the After School Alliance. And it's been a great journey. And I'm so happy to be part of such a wonderful team of people kind of with like interests. You mentioned there that as part of your, your 
goal to help Wyoming tackle some larger issues, you felt like you needed some time out of the state. And on a Think Wyoming podcast episode, you mentioned, and this is a quote, I feel like we have to get over this feeling that you have to be a fourth generation Wyomingite to really be a Wyomingite. We need everybody to participate. And until we begin to really celebrate those that have chosen to be here and take advantage of all the skills that they bring, we're going to be in trouble. And so I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on this tension between Wyomingites and outsiders. As someone who's spent a great deal of time both inside and outside of Wyoming, what in your mind can we do to bridge this tension and change this mindset and come together as a state to solve some of these larger problems that we face? So I think this is, it's just, a, it's such an interesting dynamic from my perspective. And of course, I'm I'm lucky in that I kind of am both an insider and an outsider in Wyoming in the sense that I have that length of history as a citizen here and, and have been lucky enough to be part of a family that has been involved in in government and politics over the years. And I'm also a Democrat, which sort of makes me a bit of an outsider in many contexts. And so I, I feel like maybe that's given me some perspective to 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 see what it feels like to be in both contexts. But one of the things that when I was at the Daniels Fund, and as I've done my work over the years, I think is this kind of challenge that Wyoming faces that is 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 around human capacity. We just ultimately, because of our scale, we are always struggling with this need to to have more kind of and I'm sure with each of you being in as vista as you've seen this there's there's a need for us to somehow if if we think we can solve all of Wyoming's problems with the same 10 people <laughs> we're just never going to we're never going to get there and I think we have some remarkable individuals who love Wyoming and have fallen in love with it, even if they just got here. And we have to figure out ways in our structures uh, and context to give them space and time to be a part of our solution. That said, I think part of the challenge often comes when folks arrive in Wyoming and think that it's going to be just as it had been wherever they are. And I think be, being able to make the space and time for us to create relationships across difference is really, really important. I think we're not always very good at that or that we may actually even have a little bit of a, a self-consciousness problem in terms of, that's not the self-confidence problem in terms of, of what we can do if we really kind of learn from one another. I think you make good points on that in multiple multiple ways, like you said. My perspective is very similar to that, too, of coming from Texas. And, you know, people in Texas are very proud to be from Texas. But it, it's a different type of feeling about people in Wyoming. I'm not disparaging them all. It's great that they love that they're from Wyoming. My family actually lived in Wyoming in the 60s and 70s and 80s. They moved out here from Iowa. Unfortunately, that was my grandparents, and I never had a chance to talk to them about their experiences back then. But 
my point, I guess, was saying that having I've I've felt as been an outsider as well, you know. And there was definitely when we first moved here, there was resistance and the feeling that, well, you're not from here, so you don't understand it, I guess, is the bigger picture. And it's that resistance be like, okay, well, I may not understand Wyoming, but you guys aren't understanding what's going on outside of Wyoming either. And and to me, it's kind of a microcosm for America because I feel, this is being personally, I feel America doesn't look outside of our own country often enough. Mm-hmm. So if that makes sense. I Just to that point, I have a funny little story. I was I had the opportunity to go to, to Belfast for a big event many, many years ago. And I arrived, I was kind of scared. Belfast is sort of a gritty city. And I arrived and I was picked up by this kind of very like shaved head, lots of pierced ears, big, scary looking dude <laughs> with tattoos and he was in a big black taxi and we got talking and he said well now where are you from and I said oh I'm from the United States oh America I've always wanted to go to America but I'm just too afraid to go there it's just so violent and that was such an important little moment for me to realize that as you say Dan I think sometimes we don't always know what others see in us that we may not see in ourselves. There's so many questions I want to continue based off this. Um, I've had opportunity, Michelle, to um, study adolescence in um, various other cultures, whether it's like uh, European or Asian or like African, like the comparison is tough just because there are so many various like factors at display. So I guess I'll shut myself up now and say, um, what, what have those experiences been like? Or what has that research been like? Uh, well, I, I can't say that I've done a, a lot of research in that particular area. I will say there's a wonderful book called The Evolution of Childhood, which is just about that. It's really about childhood and adolescence and how it both is the same and differs across cultures. One interesting thing is that the kind of concept of adolescence is a culturally constructed one on one level. It, there's So you have this development, you know, physical development, and then you have the kind of cultural development of adolescence. And, and sometimes they're in sync and sometimes they're not. But the thing you see in industrialized, in, in industrialized cultures is that adolescence is longer. It tends to be longer. And it starts earlier and it goes longer. And so this, as I mentioned earlier, this sort of concept of opportunity youth, that kind of late adolescence from 18 to 25, kind of this recognition that in many cultures, there's that opportunity to begin to, through cultural practices and rituals and structures, there's the opportunity during that 18 to 25 year old frame to begin to become a member of a culture in a different way. I think that's something that we don't necessarily do very well often in in this country that I think we could do better, especially for young men, in my opinion. But I would... I would highly recommend the evolution of childhood if it's something that you're interested in. As it pertains to being an engaged member 
of a culture. I think one of the most important ingredients to that is finding people who inspire you. Who's someone in, in Wyoming who either you work closely with or could just be like a friend who you regularly talk with who, who motivates you, makes you think differently about the problems that we're presented with? Hmm, good question. Well, I have a colleague who I work with by the name of Samin Dadalahi, who is one of the kind of snarkiest, smartest people I've ever met. <laughs> and she she's the chief operating officer for the Community Foundation. And I love her because she's always, um, she's a fighter. And I'm not much of a fighter. I kind of am someone who likes to go along and get along. And she, she just, when she starts looking sometimes at what's happening with children and family, she just gets really mad and it make it, it fires me up too. So I would say Samin at this moment today is, is the person who really inspires me to keep, also gives me a lot of purpose. With that smarty and snarky paradigm, I would say he's <laughs> definitely the smart one between the two of us. And uh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in a heart-to-heart moment, it, it is wonderful to have a co-producer and like fellow Vista like you, who often makes me reconsider how I think of empathy, my social responsibility, just looking at the state of things in a different way. And I think those friendships are really important. And I can probably be a little bombastic and confrontational at times with you, and maybe he'll pick up on trace amounts of that for just uh, confidence and engaging in a conversation, but I really do think we have a special um, friendship developed in that manner. I really appreciate those words, Ken. It means a lot. Of course, you. Well, Michelle, you just you mentioned you know families and children struggling, which obviously the last year has been a struggle for a lot of families. Is it your hope that communities across the state will commit to assessing what worked during the pandemic? what could and should have been done differently and what partnerships and alliances have been developed or been strengthened such that renewed focus and resources be invested where they will benefit the most vulnerable and the neediest among us? For sure, for sure. And I, I really do feel like we are learning a huge amount. And and I don't know about all of you, but I've heard a lot of people say, well, we can never say that can't be done again <laughs> because we've all had to step up and problem solve in ways that we never really thought we would have to. And that that gives me a lot of hope because I think we've we've seen these new partnerships as we've dis- described before develop and allow us to begin working together in completely new ways. And I, I really think that I hope that that remains and that we can keep that. I think one of the pieces that I really hope we can continue to build on is something I mentioned earlier, and that is this cultivation of connections both in communities and across communities. I think one of the things that really melted away to a certain extent during the pandemic, but we could continue to improve on, and that is those boundaries between in school and out of school, not-for-profit and business, I really believe that if we if we can set our minds to making a commitment to children and families and invest in, in in children and families, we will see the the rewards ultimately in flourishing communities. And something that I was reflecting on and as I was preparing for this conversation was 
you know, we often start with asking how much something is going to cost. And I really think that's the that's the wrong place to begin. And, and one of the things I really learned when I was working at the Daniels Fund is if if an organization comes to you and you say, well, well, what do you need? And the response is, well, we need money. Then they haven't thought enough about what they want to achieve and how to be intentional in achieving that. And I really believe that as communities, we can decide what is important. We'll figure it out. That's what we do. And I've never been in a situation where if the goal wasn't clear, and I, you know, the First Lady's Hunger Initiative is, I think, a great example of this where if you can be clear about your purpose and begin to join around that purpose, really nothing is impossible. And I hope we can bring that to bear for children and families in Wyoming. You said something uh, briefly, Michelle, about in-school, out-of-school dichotomy. And I, in past articles and stuff that I've read from you, you've made clear to distinguish that Wyoming After School Alliance does not just offer after-school services. It's a, it's a very um, complex web of partners and services offered. But we kind of glossed over at the beginning, and um, my, my apologies for that, but I, I'd really love to have you talk to the, um, the full expanse of the offerings from the after-school alliance. Sure. So the alliance, first of all, we, we're a support organization to help others really improve their quality. So when, when I think about kids, you know, we often think about school time, but 80% of kids' time is spent in out-of-school contexts. And so we recognize that that is a critical time, especially for young people with working parents, which is about 63% of Wyoming families have both parents working in the workforce. So if you think about 63% of our families are, are working full-time and you're only in school 20% of your time, that leaves a really important series of moments where you could be enriching, exploring interests, developing relationships that are developmental in nature and supporting your, your passions and and we believe really that that's something that should be available to all young people. So with that in mind, we kind of have three things that we do. We advocate for very robust, high quality, out of school time experiences for all Wyoming young people. So that's kind of our advocacy role. We work to improve the quality of programs across the state. So we work with Boys and Girls Clubs, YMCAs, libraries, small childcare settings, all with the intent of providing them resources and training and development so that they can have very high quality programming, STEM programming, literacy training, that kind of thing. And then finally, we work on really helping to make those organizations sustainable by really working to make sure that they're strong nonprofits and they have good leadership and strong board practices, all of those sorts of things so that they can remain and be in, in place in 10 years to continue to do the good work that they're doing in communities. So we kind of are the, I always think of us as the bridge builders across 
the state and then the organization that can then bolster other organizations in the work that they're doing to serve youth in a whole variety of ways. There's a great line that I love by John Dewey that says, what the wisest mother wants for her child should be what we want for all children. I really love that. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Well, Michelle, it seems like you have built a very impressive network of people across the state, uniting them under um, common causes. Who do you recommend we might invite on the podcast in the future to continue these discussions? Well, I had, first of all, I would love for you to meet Becca Steinhoff. She runs Wyoming Kids First and works a lot in the early childhood space, which I think is also important. There was somebody actually I was thinking of that I just think both of you would enjoy, and her name is Sue Summers. Sue lives in Pinedale, or she and her husband ranch in Pinedale, and actually her husband is in the legislature. Albert Summers, wonderful, wonderful leader. But Sue is both an artist, but is also really thinking a lot about some of these same questions around revenue streams and has helped found a little group called Tax Club. (laughs) And I think you'd enjoy visiting with her. Yeah, so those are two suggestions. And of course, Samin, you can always, like, if you really want some fire in the belly, Samin Dadalahi is also a wonderful person. (laughs) Appreciate that. Hugh, do you want to hit up Michelle with our lighthearted question of the podcast? Right. So every week as we wrap up our discussion, we kind of like to close out with a a nice lighthearted question to kind of get to know our guests a little bit better and uh, have some fun. So, Michelle, we have both lived in D.C. and Ken has lived in D.C. Dan, if I recall correctly, probably visited D.C.? Unfortunately, I have not. Um, Angie's gone the last several years, and I, it's just never worked out, unfortunately, for me to go with her. So it's on my list. Well, maybe we can add a restaurant recommendation to this list. <laughs> Michelle, what was your favorite restaurant from your time living in D.C.? And what is your favorite restaurant here in Wyoming? Ah, Well, I was, so I've been thinking about this. I have a kind of restaurant that's my favorite that I loved. I love the Ethiopian restaurants in DC. And there were a couple really close to where we lived when we first arrived there. And so I just, I love the taste and the feel of the Ethiopian food. And and so that's what I would recommend. If you're going to go, Dan, make sure to hit one of the Ethiopian restaurants. Michelle's a woman after my own heart. Yeah. Agree more. And then the the restaurant I was thinking about, which I always sort of dream about and always go to when I'm in Cody, is uh, Shiki, which is a Japanese restaurant there, and it's just fantastic. And so, as I was kind of meandering, kind of driving around the state in my mind, that was where my my car landed in my imagination. <laughs> you, you got any suggestions for our audience? <laughs> well, I would say I. Also really love the Ethiopian food. My mom took us a few years back to this Ethiopian restaurant in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. I can't remember the name, though. It kind of escapes me. A favorite from from my childhood was uh, Cactus Cantina down by the 
cathedral. And uh, that was always a, a perennial favorite for my family. Ken, how about you? Having um, resided in uh, Crystal City, Virginia, I'm a big fan of the 24-7 Kebab Palace. Ooh. Fantastic um, Middle Eastern street food. Um, get some of that lamb kebab, some uh, chickpeas and rice covered with um, sauce and like a big pita bread at the end with um, green sauce. I love that. Uh, my dad was always finding an excuse to visit so I could take him there. And I had memories come up on Facebook from last year. And um, the last weekend I spent there, I, I took him and my mom. And it's kind of uh, crazy because I have no idea how long I would have continued to live in D.C. had the pandemic not happened. And now fast forward a year and I'm in a apartment in Cheyenne, Wyoming. You know what? I'd, I'd have it no other way. It's, it's been a tremendous time here. Dan, we can't leave you out of the conversation, although you've not been to D.C. What is your favorite Wyoming food from across the expansive state? So there's two spots that are my favorite in Wyoming. One's right here in Cheyenne. That's two doors down for numerous reasons. Great food, great owners. They do a lot for their community, so love supporting them. And then my other one would probably be the Snake River Brewery up in Jackson. It's a uh, great beer, great food, and it's, it's just it's a great place. So if uh, either of you guys haven't been up there and have a chance, definitely stop in and grab a bite to eat at Snake River. Not on my notepad. <laughs> all right, listeners. I think that is all we have for today. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. I just, I, I want you to know how happy I am to have met all of you. And um, to our audience out there, go out and make the magic happen. Thank you for listening.